0: news real news welcome everyone to the Tory Says show i'm your host Tory today is february 6 2019 yesterday was the state of the union and it was incredible Our president knocked it out of the park. He slayed. Why? Because he started his speech with something we've been talking about on my show for a while. Let's have a listen to just the first couple of minutes.
1: And my fellow Americans, we meet tonight at a moment of unlimited potential. As we begin a new Congress, I stand here ready to work with you to achieve historic breakthroughs for all Americans. Millions of our fellow citizens are watching us now gathered in this great chamber, hoping that we will govern not as two parties, but as one nation.
0: That's it. Not two parties, one nation. I've been saying this many times that the minute we stop playing politics, we realize that these two parties are manufactured only to polarize our nation and see it for what it is for our nation or against pro America or against That was key. He started his address calling for unity, and that is exactly what he did. The reactions we had from the Democratic side that was present, their comments afterwards, showed the American people exactly what they stood for, and that is that they do not stand for unity. They do not stand for a strong America that is united and proud to be American. They stand for divisive acts. They stand for anything that would be able to tear us down. And, you know, even CBS had like an initial poll of a 76 approval rating. I'm telling you, it was probably larger Because for the first time, and this is probably why Maxine Waters was foaming at the mouth, demanding people to turn off their TV and not listen to our president, is because he would be speaking common sense. He would be talking about what the problem in our nation is, the problems, the achievements, and what the hindrances are. He made it clear, uh, okay, we're so over this bickering, this, all these fake investigations, all this, you know, stymieing. We have people waiting to be confirmed to help and work for the American people. You're just causing issues. We need it to stop. It's kind of like a teacher taking a kindergarten class and saying, all right, guys, it's enough is enough. Like, when is enough enough? And that was that he did it so eloquently that they even forgot that they're not supposed to be cheering at certain times. He made statements like we're going to bring back those four great letter words made in the USA. And there you see the women that are supposedly part of the Democratic whatever women's work for something, you know, that had a press conference earlier um, in the day yesterday regurgitating information that was completely false. You know, one of them, you didn't know if they were male, female, they were wearing a curtain, 20 rings. They look tacky. They look like, you know, the craziest cat ladies. And then there was this lady flanking them, this old lady. All she did was smile and kind of like direct them with her eyes and her like fake smile like the handlers do. You know, she was just flanking them like, yeah, it's your turn. Go ahead. Yes, I approve. It was the creepiest thing I saw. Obviously, it was funny too. But it was those women that cheered on what President Trump was saying about women, their successes, how they're the majority, you know, that we have so many of them in Congress now. We have so many of them in the workforce now, yet, you know, a few hours earlier, they were saying how women are not in the workforce, how there aren't enough women in Congress, how women are secondary citizens, how they only make 61 cents per dollar. Like, where are they getting this information and who are they telling this information to? Because Americans that are informed would never believe that. It was incredible to watch him unify the nation. I personally was at the gym and I was on the treadmill and I couldn't believe how fast I was running. I was so pumped listening to him, listening to him read, uh, the most eloquent speech he put out there without compromising his personality, you know, cause, uh, he has his own person. I actually like him, you know, <laughs> um, you know, going off on his own. I love it because it's natural, it's normal, and it's him. And this is why I voted for him. So this speech wasn't too contained and it wasn't too um, sterile. He hit points that we've been talking about for a long time, which is transparency. He hit points about ending endless wars. And we talked about this yesterday on my show where Rand Paul scolded the Republicans that were pro-war uh, when it's impossible for us to continue. A strong nation doesn't need to show force or presence to um, diffuse situations, right? And we obviously know that we're not in Afghanistan to bring peace. It doesn't take 18 years to go in there and have a war. I mean, after a couple of years, it's just a grudge of vendetta, right? It can't be war. Because if it was really war, they'd be off the map by now with the force that we have. And he made it clear to us that even the other side, the Afghanis, Iraqis, everyone in the Middle East is ready to say, all right, enough is enough. And for people to sit there and say, well, you know, terrorists are going to come to our country. They've been coming. Us being there gives them more juice, more of a foundation to say, this is why we need to annihilate them because they're taking over our countries and killing our women and children. And he realizes that he understands that, especially when you're in a region fighting an air quote war, right? When the purpose isn't righteous is even more wrong, right? Rand Paul made it clear. We saw an increase in just a year of poppy field because they knew President Trump is shutting it down. Like I said, Pelosi was grounded, you know, to go to Afghanistan with her family, with her family. When Rand Paul told us he couldn't even see the supposed gas station that we paid 50 million, 50 billion or 50 million. It was just an astronomical amount for one gas station. He couldn't even see it because it was dangerous. So, yeah, is it really there? But Pelosi was going with her family to do what? Tour the poppy fields because who needs the poppy fields? Pharmaceutical companies. So, recapping on that, you know, I just wanted to recap on the State of the Union because on the second half of the hour, I'm going to have Scott Adams. I joined him on his show this morning um, on WFYL uh, Philly. And so he's going to join me in the second half where we can deconstruct and play a few clips and comment on, uh, what is going on. So I've always said that I don't like to beat to the drum of the mainstream media, right? Because that's not the news. We saw it with our, with, um, RBG. They all suddenly came out except for real journalism, like, you know, Big League Politics and Gateway Pundit, no one said that or reported or regurgitated that RBG was seen, you know, at the event that they said she was seen. The tweets have been taken down from family members that said so. Some random account, um, you know, that's tweeted maybe seven times over a long period of time, tweeted out a photo that I debunked immediately. But for some reason, there was a person who purports to be, you know, all about the MAGA movement, all about Trump, that was saying, well, I did it and it's this. And I'm like, dude, I ran it through AI. It's layered. And so that was debunked and Scott Adams actually found that the picture that they used of her in the coat uh, was from the Sundance Festival when she went to Utah from a while ago. It was superimposed. It was the most incredible thing. So I think that was just planted for people to take it on, but it didn't catch on because thank goodness for Scott. He found that because he's been canvassing. He's like, there's no way everyone's reporting it and there's not a photo, right? That's creepy. And that's why I sent out emails, even to the Surgeon General, requesting a welfare check and a letter to the president, emails. Um, I'm going to be making another phone call as well today after my show, just to top it off on the comment section, you know, um, because we do need a welfare check. Uh, and that is important for our, uh, country and as a nation, uh, because it's imperative. I wrote an article saying, what is a welfare check? And you know, if you don't see your neighbor or if a coworker doesn't come in, you call the police and they have every legal right to enter the premises to make sure that you're okay. Well, why isn't anyone doing that for RBG? She is a Supreme Court justice. The actual opinion she writes and formulates from her bedside changed the face of our judicial system, the foundation of our justice system, our nation. And no one is going to see if she's alive. Does she have a heartbeat? And does she have her full m- mental faculties? Is she taking medication that she shouldn't be writing opinions? I mean, there's people that are in law enforcement, um, in, in any job actually, uh, that you can take certain antibiotics, especially if you're struggling with a pneumonia, there's multiple medications they can have you on that, uh, can cause dizziness, drowsiness. You can't operate heavy machinery. Painkillers as well that comes along with it. She's fragile, so they probably put her on some, you know, bone density uh, medications, you know, for her age. I'm, I'm just assuming. I'm not her doctor. Uh, but these are all things that you can kind of put out there. Because I even said two months ago, if she cracked her ribs and went to the hospital, I guarantee you she's going to have a pneumonia. And if she went in there, she probably broke her hip. And the the thing is, I said it if you're 65 and over and you break your hip it's almost like a death sentence 50/50 why not because of the broken hip but because you're in the hospital and you get a pneumonia because they intubate you for the surgery you come out of it you're vulnerable there's germs and almost you know 5 out of 10 people that are put in hospital you know for things like this that are elderly always get a pneumonia done i mean it's it's fact This is why it's called, you know, uh, the, the fall could be a death sentence because you get a pneumonia and that's it. You're done. You're compromised already. You've just gone through like a really big surgery. It's, you know, it's, it's fact. So we need a welfare check. We need to have an independent physician visit and see if she is physically viable But also examine her mental faculties, Uh, check her memory, check her ability to think because she's writing opinions from her bedside. Because if it turns out that she's not all together and yet opinions are reaching the Supreme Court, that's a big problem. If it turns out that my, and I stand by it, statement that since her supposed fall, In late October, which was announced on November 6th, right? No one has seen her. No one has laid eyes on her since the end of October. I stand by it. So instead of us saying, where is she? We should be tweeting out to Metro D.C., to the Surgeon General, to the President of the United States, to anybody and their mother, calling our congressmen and senators that we demand a welfare check because we have that right. This is our Supreme Court justice. This is how our nation, you know, operates. We cannot have this going on any longer where we don't know what's going on. And someone may say, HIPAA, HIPAA. Well, no, not really. We have every right to know how she is because she is one of the highest, she holds one of the highest offices in our nation. Just like we have physicals for our president, just like we have physicals for our vice president. And we should have one. (gasps) Mind you, maybe we should ask for one for Pelosi. I mean, she is third in line and she keeps calling President Trump Bush, um, you know, and they were trying to use that whole mental thing for impeach the 25th. You know, that's ding, ding, ding. I'll keep that on the, on the back burner. I need to do a little bit of digging on that one. But I, but I think this is imperative. It is imperative that we have a welfare check and an independent report from the Surgeon General's Office, which I emailed as well yesterday, uh, to um, get a welfare check. Because as citizens, we should be concerned. I mean, wh- how are you not concerned that someone that is writing laws for our nation may not be writing them themselves? it's pretty interesting. Now, like I said, not to the beat of the drum of the mainstream media. So we're going to talk HR1. I talked about it last week when Mitch McConnell uh, you know, went and uh, well, he stated to us how preposterous it is. Maybe I can find that clip while I remind you this HR1 bill is uh seeking to uh limit would it be limit? It would Change the way the FEC is run and it would also cause changes in uh, speech. It's like a big piece of tape going over your mouth when you are talking about or referring to a um, senator or congressperson. Basically, free speech is going to be silenced when uh, you speak against uh, an elected leader. On top of that, uh, the rules they want to change for who governs the FEC is a big issue too uh, because what they want to do is make it a five committee. They want to change it. And um, he put it so eloquently. I'm going to find his... Uh, little clip here we go, and let me play this. This is a two-minute clip, and it's very important that everyone listen to this. And
2: seventy pages. Seemingly every one of H R. One. This sprawling power grab clocks in at five hundred and seventy pages. Seemingly every one of these pages is filled with some effort to rewrite the rules to favor the Democrats and their friends. I think it's more accurately, could be described another way. The Democratic Politician Protection Act. What would it do? It would pile new Washington-focused regulations onto virtually every aspect of how politicians are elected and what Americans can say about them. The Democrats want to make the Federal Elections Commission a partisan institution. Since Watergate, the FEC has been a six-member body Neither party gets more than three seats. Neither party. It would reduce the FEC to a five-member body. And listen to this. Let sitting presidents pick the majority. The FEC should not be a weapon that one political party can wield against its rivals. It would also be new latitude to decide when a nonprofit's speech has crossed that same fuzzy line and subsequently forced the publication of the group's private supporters. All this appears to be custom-built to chill the exercise of the First Amendment and give federal bureaucrats and the waiting left-wing mob a clearer idea of just who to intimidate. Hundreds, literally hundreds of pages are dedicated to telling states how to run their elections, from when and where they must take place, to the procedures they have to follow, to the machines they have to use. Yet the proposal, Mr. President, does practically nothing to combat the real live voter fraud that does happen. I'd have to say this, our colleagues across the Capitol know what they're after. but I want to make sure the American people understand what this is all about. And I want to assure the American people right from the outset, it may pass the House, but not the Senate.
0: So that was important for you guys to listen to because right now there's a House Oversight Committee about this and we have people purporting it as some form of ethics commission or oversight. To um, the way people are elected, to the way lobbyists perform and act. And it is just being misconstrued. And obviously, you have clowns like, you know, Rashida on that. Um, Here's a clip that I want to play from Mr. Smith answering a couple of questions. I'm trying to find his first initial discussion and where he introduces himself he said he puts it down so eloquently even though he's like well this part is okay but this is a violation um because it's live it's pretty hard there we go okay you ready for this
3: Mr. Cummings, Mr. Jordan, members of the committee. Uh, The Institute for Free Speech has been uh, producing detailed analyses of the many sections of this. The Chairman called it a sweeping bill, 570 pages. Some of those are available here today. I'm going to focus very briefly on two aspects of this bill with which I have particular expertise as former Chairman of the Federal Election Commission and as the author of the leading academic analysis of super PAC and coordinated spending and the author of many of the FEC's current coordination rules. Since its inception, the Federal Election Commission has been a bipartisan agency. This was at the insistence of people such as Democratic Representative Wayne Hayes and Democratic Senator Alan Cranston, who warned, we must not allow the FEC to become a tool for harassment by future imperial presidents who may seek to repeat the abuses of Watergate. Subtitle A of Title VI of H.R. 1 would replace the current six-member bipartisan FEC with a five-member panel subject to partisan control. In theory, only two members could come from any one party, requiring a fifth seat to be held by an independent, but this is a fig leaf. In fact, the FEC has an independent now, but it's understood that Commissioner Stephen Walther was appointed at the behest of former Democratic Senate leader Harry Reid, whom Mr. Walther had represented in election matters, and it's understood that he holds a Democratic seat.
0: Did, did you hear that? So basically, first of all, for the FEC, and this is all about Planned Parenthood and what Mitch McConnell was saying, that what they want to do is be able to penetrate these nonprofits or these lobbyists and single each and every one of us out who are their supporters so they can target us. This is how the Gestapo Right. You operates. This is how the Nazis operated to pluck out the people that would lift their head and speak against them. This is how they operated. This is the news today. Not whatever everybody else is talking about. I know all of us want to hear commentary about the State of the Union, but I've always said I'm going to be delivering actual news and what's important. And this is not getting enough attention. What this man is telling you is that from the bipartisan having three and three, they want, you know, five and they're going to have one independent. Now, he even made case that the independent isn't really independent. He was a Democrat. So this is this is pretty incredible. Just take a listen to how he breaks this down so well.
3: Under H.R. 1, Senator Bernie Samples, for example, a frontrunner for the Democratic presidential nomination in 2020, could be appointed as a, quote, independent. Any president could find nom- a nominal independent to reflect his party's views, creating a partisan majority on the commission. Further, H.R. 1 gives vast new powers to the FEC chairman, justifying fully the title of speech czar. The chair would have the sole power to determine the agency budget, to subpoena witnesses, to compel testimony and reports, and to appoint the staff director, who oversees, among other things, the FEC's audit division. This is a prescription for partisan.
0: So did you hear that? So they would be giving one person, right, the president, administrative subpoena power, which is almost equal to national security letters, and he would appoint the person that does the audits, too. So they would be partisan, right? Because remember, it's all about who funds them. It's all coming out. Uh, Myself and Laura Loomer are working on exposing a huge federally funded network that has lobbied with our federal tax money. And this is not just Planned Parenthood. There's lots of these going around. And that's going to be coming soon from myself and Laura. And uh, we've been working on this for a very long time. Myself, it's been over 10 years I've been after this company, uh, this organization. But I call it a company because they say they're not for profit, but they're making a lot of profit, bringing in refugees. And now they're diddling in adoptions and foster care. But let's continue before I go to a break to just listen to his final point here. Control
3: and abuse. I assume the majority knows that, and that is why this provision of the bill, unlike the others, does not take effect until 2021. The majority has no intention of allowing President Trump to appoint all five commissioners, including the powerful chair. Now, the claim is made that a partisan controlled commission is necessary to restore integrity to election enforcement. This has it exactly backwards. The only reason that the FEC has any credibility is its bipartisan makeup. Under Title Six, the person elected in 2020 will appoint all five members of the commission, including the powerful chair, which will have the power to write and then rewrite new rules with an eye toward the 2022 midterms, the 2024 and 2028 president.
0: All right. So right before I go to the break, if you listen, they've put even the time thinking that they will win the 2020 election. Like I've told you, it's not Kamala Harris. It's not who they purport. It's Yang. I'll see you all after this short break.
5: That's 855-700-2978. Guaranteed life insurance with no medical exam. Sounds great, right? Even better, your rates will never increase and benefits will never decrease. If you're a U.S. citizen between 50 and 80, you can get life insurance guaranteed. It's not guaranteed in every state, and you may not qualify for every policy, but when you call, you'll speak with a licensed insurance company. They'll give you all the details about guaranteed life insurance. So call now, 1-800-707-1219
0: Welcome back to the second half hour of my first part of the show. I'm your host Tori. Remember you can always find um, a lot of my publications on torysays.com, Big League Politics. I'm always on Red State uh, and I'm on Twitter and Gab at Tori underscore says. I'm also on Instagram as Tori says, but I only post food and pictures of my dog and cat. So no politics really there. <laughs> um, so, what we were talking about is HR1, and this is actually the news we need to be focusing on because the Democrats are keeping Yang a secret. I've invited him again. A lot of people are like, there's no way he's going to come. But, you know, I'm not someone that'll do a hit job on someone. Because I believe that when you are wrong, uh, through debate, um, this is visible. And if I'm wrong, it comes out through debate. And if the other person is wrong, it comes out through debate and also through debate. What do you get? The sauce of it. What is your bottom line and what is it exactly that you stand for? So I always promote debate from all sides of whatever coin you want to call it, um, you know, what we need to focus on is what's going on right now. They're gear up for 2020. Um, Mr. Smith made it clear that all of this would be in effect as of 2021 because they expect to win 2020 and it has stipulations, like he said, for 2024, 2028 elections. Um, not only are they going to be allowed to write their own laws, write their own regulations without oversight, right? Pure power, but it'll be completely partisan. Now, like Mitch McConnell said, this may indeed pass the House because the Democrats want to conceal where they get their funding, how they get their funding, because there's a huge crackdown through the FEC. Huge. And, you know, people like myself and others that have filed complaints on multiple organizations— that have used their nonprofit status and grants given to them from different uh, departments within our state, specifically the one that I've been investigating for a very long time Um Gets uh, funds from uh, the Health and Human Services, the DOI, the State Department. Like they get a lot of our federal tax money, and this is called abuse, fraud, waste, and abuse. Uh, this is something you report, and uh, you know I have to the GAO. Obviously, the GAO is very slow on getting things done, unfortunately. Uh, but you know there's always the media, and um, hopefully you'll be seeing myself and Laura in Minnesota soon. Uh, to blow that up. Uh, as you as you guys also heard, uh, PayPal has decided to disallow Laura Loomer from using their services for whatever reason. But, you know, if you're someone selling your body for sex, uh, porn sites, you're more than welcome to use PayPal as a method of payment. And I think what we need to do is source those sites, you know, that have sex, gambling, you know, and all that and say, all right, so benign... Um, funding of a citizen journalist, which is independent, that is not selling a product, is not allowed to use your platform. This is 100% discrimination. And this bill is 100% discriminatory because what it wants to do is oust private persons. So they know who they need to target and take out. And if they find out like, um, a big brand company, you know, that makes drinks or, um, shoes or apparel, whatever funds, uh, an organization that is against them, they will take that company out. Remember that sleazeball That turncoat McCain used the IRS and weaponized them against average people and his political opponents, Patrick Halley of the big league politics, actually was the one that broke that story. This is stuff that really happens and they're doing this right under our nose and no one is talking about it because we're busy just focusing on the fact that we had a huge win yesterday and we're tearing about our Cory Booker had something evil to say about it. How Kamala Harris tweeted out, you can't tell a woman what to do with her body. Well, um, what about the baby's body? But anyway, how Ocasio was upset that socialism will not be implemented. And who is he to say it? I'll play that clip uh, when Scott Adams is on in the next hour. So you guys can hear it with your own ears. This is where we need to be focusing our energy. This is where we need to be um, tweeting, uh, driving conversation that they are trying to dismantle every single freedom we have as Americans. And this is the freedom of speech. So let me have um, Mr. Smith wrap up here and I'll pause whenever commentary is necessary, obviously, or explanation because it's still live. It's still ongoing. This was um, over an hour ago. So here we go.
3: Now, some of you may consider this a feature rather than a bug, but be careful what you wish for. You didn't think Trump would win in 2016 either. Subtitle B of Title VI is called Stopping Super PAC Candidate Coordination. The sponsors and drafters are either being intentionally disingenuous here or they simply do not understand what has been put into their own legislation. Nothing in Subtitle B, nothing, limits its reach to super PACs. It applies to every union trade association, advocacy group and unincorporated association in the country. It applies to Planned Parenthood and Right to Life, to the NAACP and the ACLU, to the National Federation of Independent Business and to the Brady Campaign for Gun Safety. It even applies to individual citizens who seek to participate in public discussion. Nothing, this cannot be said often enough, limits it to super PACs. Through the interplay of its definitions of coordination and coordinated spenders, the law's treatment Uh, traditional treatment of coordinated spending as a contribution to a candidate and current contribution limits in the law, Subtitle B will actually have the effect of banning, not limiting, but actually banning a great deal of speech that was legal even before the Supreme Court's decisions in Citizens United versus FEC and and, uh, uh, Buckley v. Vallejo. So again, this law goes backwards to outlaw speech that was always legal in American history even before the Citizens United decision.
0: Rashida is coming As the full
3: up. text of my prepared remarks explains in greater details these problems of Title VI, but in a nutshell, Title VI should be called the, alien, the new Alien and Sedition Act. With just a few seconds remaining, let me add only on Title VIII, this seems to be one of the least harmful provisions of the bill, but that's not to say uh, that it is not, like so many other provisions, a bit of overkill. It's interesting to me that it does not include as covered individuals people who have previously lobbied for uh, uh, cities and counties and local government units. And it would normally be the case that those groups lobby extensively in Congress and perhaps should be also checked for a conflict of interest. I also question the assumption of the bill, which seems to be that anybody with a past experience in the private sector is somehow uh, dangerous and should have a, a legal conflict of interest defined by law before they even take office. I think that's overkill and inappropriate. Thank you very much for your time. I'm free to answer any questions.
0: Okay, before we get to Rashida, because she's going to talk, did you hear that last statement? That if you have, uh, you know, experience in the private sector, it's dangerous before you take office. So for example, for myself, I'm a linguist and someone pointed out, I keep saying pneumonia, um, you know, and, uh, you know, the word is pneumonia and this is linguist problems because I know the roots of them. So I pronounce them differently and my husband is British. So sometimes, you know, I pronounce things differently That's the joy of being a linguist, um, and, uh, multicultural, I guess. Um, but listen to what he said. So if myself being an expert in linguistics and, um, uh, you know, cultural appropriation and cultural, um, I would say integration and how people would uh, acclimate to different environments and localization, basically, uh, which I would be, it would be a problem for me or a conflict of interest. If I took office to execute a job that would utilize those skills, do you get it? So basically you shouldn't be in office if you have the skills because, that is a conflict of interest. Now, it would be a conflict of interest if, say, for example, I was working for like a huge company like LN10, you know, that is huge, um, you know, Lion, which is huge on localization and... Um, at helping companies strategize into how to penetrate foreign markets, right? Which I've done such contract work with before. You know, if you want to take your product like a shoe and you want to um, put it forward to someone in Zimbabwe, right? You want to enter that market for whatever reason. You need to find out what their price points are, what colors they like, what they wear, what their style is, culturally how you would integrate it and sell it and advertise it. And it's all about cultural nuance. So basically what they're trying to say is because I may have worked with big companies or because I may have skills or be prone to be, um, uh, lobbied by those companies that I shouldn't take that position. And this goes back to my, um, uh, first point. And I'm actually going to be reaching out to my Congressman Kelly Armstrong, uh, to put forth a bill that disallows, disallows elected officials within Congress or Senate to create wealth while they're there, meaning that they are not allowed to purchase stock or make any such transactions without approvals Um, because that is how you get personal interests. You know, it's kind of like the people that were (laughs) overseeing the whole Facebook thing. All of them had just received like big chunks of Facebook stock and they just keep reinvesting. So this part, seeks to exclude people that have the acumen to be objectively, I would say, efficient, right? Uh, Because if you take some other guy who has no idea of cultural acclimation, languages, travel, you know, and just actually um, uh, know the differences between local, you know, what localization takes, and they take that post, they assume because they have no knowledge that they'll do a better job than someone that does have knowledge. And that's imperative for the Democrats because then those above them can, air quote, guide them. So now let's go to Rashida's questions or commentaries.
2: Thank you very much uh, to all of our witnesses. And thank you for staying within the time limit. I will now yield five minutes to the distinguished lady from Michigan, Ms. Talib.
6: Thank you so much, Chairman, and thank you so much to Chairman uh, Sarbanes for this incredible leadership on this issue. I think for the people, it's important in trying to restore public trust into this institution. And I know I'm a freshman, I'm new. Um, I think a lot of people know that uh, I really, truly believe in the rule of law and believe in trying to restore uh, to the core center of giving. If she believed
0: to the rule of law, then why did she run for office in a district that she didn't even live in, but okay?
6: Getting people to understand this body here works for them. Uh, and so as a new member, you know, I see now why a lot of my residents are really taken aback by this process and not feeling like it belongs to them. Uh, and through the through the chair, we all know this is a very critical issue. Uh, I think both Republicans and Democrats alike... Uh, see this as a critical issue in taking corruption out of government. And so for me, as you said about strengthening this, but more importantly, you know, in the first two years in office, I think the president made 281 visits to properties he steals profits from more than 150 political committees, including campaigns and party committee committees uh, have s- wait a
0: minute. Is she talking about president Trump going to his properties to vacation as opposed to going to other properties right so she's trying to say that he's traveling there where he profits from them and this is a problem but remember pulling all the self-reported filings from all these senators and congresspersons you can see that all of them create a majority of wealth from insider trading but him going to his own business is a problem let's continue
6: We have to check our businesses. We have to check our personal and professional conflicts. Any lawyer across this country will tell you it is dangerous to allow any sort of conflict to exist while you're trying to serve others, especially in a public position like this. Um, I have seen modern presidents, both parties, before this president, address these potential conflict of interests by adhering to all ethical norms and traditions that resulted in the sale of their financial interest, completely divesting in their public, uh, in their foreign and domestic investments. I'm really taken aback by the fact that we still have to currently now um, fight for something that's so critically important in restoring public trust. That now we're setting a precedent that it's okay for a president not to divest. That it's okay that I have Car- Gary Cohn. President Trump's director of national e- uh, economic Council received more than $100 million in like payments from Goldman Sachs before he came in to work for Trump, uh, for President. The President, I'm sorry, Chairman. And so one of the things that I'm taken aback by is that you know we're talking in the good, my good colleague from um, from Ohio mentioned a, the original HR1 tax break. Who worked on that? Because you know back home in the district. They call that a payout.
0: The district she doesn't really really come from. They
6: know who was behind the scenes running that and pushing that forward. And so my question to you is... How can we move, because the shoulda, coulda, maybe, and all these kind, to me, that doesn't go far enough to starting to make people feel like this is their house, that this Congress belongs to them. Because right now, all they see is people that are at the top, that make millions of dollars, that are completely disconnected with the American people. And I can tell you, every single day, from underemployment to poverty in my district, we're feeling like here, we don't have a voice.
0: Oh my gosh, what a load of crock, coming from her. Have you guys seen her story she lives in a big old house in a district outside of the district she ran for um her father turned her in for that um she's a big nothing burger but but remember when i said that ocasio and rashida are dangerous to the own democratic party and this is because what she's saying is basically what i'm saying all these people are creating wealth right at the top of the the, the you know At the top level of government, like Pelosi, for example, like Senator Blumenthal, Hovind, Thune, anybody actually. And no one seems to say, well, you need to divest from these things. You need to not use your clout to senator or congressperson to force persons to do things for you or to bully your state or city to create subsidies or um, tax breaks for you, hint. Uh, so what she's saying isn't wrong, but she's trying to target the president on this when the president is not taking a salary. He has a business that has nothing to do with interest that would drive policy, right? Like he doesn't have interests in things like, I don't know. Apple. He doesn't have interests like Google, Amazon, you know, things that actually drive policy and contracts with DARPA and the Pentagon. So it makes you wonder what they're really doing here. What is this HR 1 for? And Mr. Smith put it perfectly. They're aiming to have control of the presidency after 2020. And he said, You thought he wouldn't win in 2016. Don't be so sure. And they're right. Because if all of us start the conversation, if we push forward to actually break down this socialism that they're trying to implement and call out Yang before he gains any steam, it's a sure win. Because, you know, yesterday I received an email from uh, Yang's press, press, uh, press team. And it was a slideshow. He's going to be from New York, February. Well, he sent it out from New York and it was about the state of the union. And he said, the annual state of the union has become nonsense political theater. If any CEO presented his or her board of directors, what our president is currently getting away with, they would be fired immediately. We need to be honest with ourselves as a country, measure what matters for our general welfare and hold ourselves accountable for these metrics and goals listen to his words. Those words are words that attract people from both parties. This is dangerous. Then he says, Even though he's saying that automation is great, he said, you know, uh, Count, since the State of the Union uh, has concluded three main points, uh, that the automation is destroying American society, he said the the trends will get worse very soon and we need big solutions to solve this. And this is something that Yang has put forward, saying that automating and using robots and computers is really destroying American society. So what we need is big solutions, which means if you get automated, we'll tax you because… The three solutions to address the most pressing issues in the U.S., which is automation is destroying American society, the trends are getting worse, and the solutions is three things. The Freedom Dividend, a $1,000 a month basic income provided to all Americans over the age of 18s, no strings attached. Medicare for all ending the fear of medical bankruptcy while removing one of the largest costs associated with starting a small business. And number three, human centered capitalism. See where he's grabbing from the right, those that are center, right, changing the focus of our economic measurement from GDP to numbers that reflect the well-being of the average American. This guy is not sounding insane, but what he's saying is very dangerous. This is very important for us to focus on this. And I don't know why anybody else is not talking about this. This is dangerous talk. This is trying to convince people that going the socialist route, going the automated route is the right way to go because that is where the future lies. This is very important. Now, socialism. Let's take a listen to what Ocasio (laughs) had to say, um, because basically Ocasio-Cortez, um, you know, said because Trump was slamming socialism, I think that he needs to do it because he feels like he feels himself he's losing on issues. I think he sees himself losing on the issues made no sense. Let's take a listen to what she says. Uh, what did this- you- Here we go.
1: on, work with me. ...make of the president. So I thought a pretty um, aggressive statement about Venezuela tonight. And he talked yeah. about being a socialist country and how we're never going to be a socialist country. It was pretty truculent, but it tied the notion of socialism to that particular regime. How you, what do you think about the president why he did that?
7: Well, I think, I think that he needs to do it because he feels like... He feels himself losing on the issues. Every single policy proposal that we have adopted and presented to the American public has been overwhelmingly popular, even some with a majority of Republican voters supporting, supporting what we're talking about. When We talked about a 70% marginal tax rate on incomes over $10 million. 60% of Americans approve it. 70% of Americans believe in improved and expanded Medicare for all. A very large amount of Americans believe that we need to do something about climate Change and that it is an existential threat to ourselves and to our children. And so, I think he sees himself losing on the issues. He sees himself losing on the wall, on the wall on the southern border. And he needs to grasp at an ad hominem attack, and this is his way of doing it. But what we really need to realize that what is happening is that this is an issue of authoritarian regime versus democracy. Mm-hmm. And in order for him to try to, you know, dissuade or throw throw people off off the scent of the trail. Um, he has to really make and confuse the public and I think that that's exactly what he's trying to do
0: Congress- sounds like she was talking about herself I don't see what's confusing here I don't see how what he was saying was author- authoritarian but what the actions of the democratic party show is authoritarian and I've said it before it's totalitarian it's clear that this hr1 cannot pass the Senate cannot pass this. This is where all of you should be calling your senators and say, I don't care if they put a bow on it, if they put lipstick and it's got heels and they make that bill look sexy as it comes. You are not going to vote for it. If you vote for it, I will be after you. This is something all of us should be doing. You should just have a simple like email address. All of them have it. And you could just click it. You don't even have to bother phoning in. You get their email address from their website and you say, I'm your constituent. Don't you dare vote for HR1. Don't you dare. That is all you have to do. I mean, I'm getting a hold of Kelly Armstrong. I don't mind even tweeting them. Hey, I'm your constituent. Don't you dare vote on HR1. You could do that. You know, tweet it. Don't you dare. Don't you dare. Because they work for us. And when there's a bill there that not only wants to silence us, but control what we can say and also allow people to target us. Because they can discover where we invest or where we lie. So if you like, for example, um, support, I don't know, saving trees or planting a tree in Israel, right? And you pay $5, I'm just saying. You know, and they're like, "Whoop! anyone that has contributed out that is an enemy of the state. And they get your name because the FEC says so. Because that lobby has crossed those fuzzy lines. This is how they target you. I know the president won't pass it. The House is adamant on passing it. And to be honest with you, the Senate, I don't trust. There are so many Democrats masked as Republicans right now. It's incredible. And the fact that the statements that they are making is kind of like, oh, this is like an ethics commission thing. And to how is it an ethics commission thing when you're allowed to tell people you can't talk about a senator or a congressperson? You know, look at Virginia. What a hot mess it is. We've got... The governor, the lieutenant governor, now they're attorney general, all blackface, all racist. We all know Virginia was always a racist state. Always. But see, nobody seems to remember history. Democrats are the racists. And so them purporting and saying that we're racist is just deflection. That's what corrupt people do. They deflect. They, um, you know, make you think like the other side is the bad guy. And that's how they win. Right? Remember that. So... Joining me right after this break at the top of the hour is, uh, Scott Adams and, um, he and I will be tackling the state of the union and other topics. Uh, you know, remember email, call tweet to your senators, to your congresspersons to disallow HR one to even be entertained at all. Filtered news. Real news. Welcome back, everyone, for the second half of the Tory Says Show. I'm your host, Tory. Uh, remember, you can always find my latest writings on torysays.com or big league or just. Find me on Red State Talk Radio. I'm here live 12 to 2 Eastern Time, Monday through Friday. I will be joined by Scott Adams so we can comment on the State of the Union that I haven't done in the first part. But I just wanted to play a clip from this live meeting of my congressman, Kelly Armstrong, and what he's saying. Which, by the way, right before he spoke... Debbie Wasserman Schultz was sitting at a seat that says "Mr. Sabranes," and she was super salty, um, trying to indicate that clearances that were provided to individuals within uh, the Trump administration that were overruled may be a cause for national security. Uh, when we all know that it was partisan, because the FBI, CIA, DNI, all of those are corrupt clowns. Um, but let's take a listen to what he has to say in regards to HR one quickly before we get into it with Scott.
8: Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, And my question is for Mr. Smith. Uh, First, do you know the only state in the country without voter registration? No. Well... I'm going to give everybody a little trivia lesson. It's, North, it's North Dakota. This is why I, I love Charlie. I'm um, oath. <laughs> one, one of the things I think we run into when we do a federal one-size-fits-all piece of legislation is maybe the negative disparate impact that it would have on certain rural states that do things in a very unique way, which we're very proud of. Uh, North Dakota has, is the only state in the country without voter registration we have an incredibly robust rural voting program we have voting we have voting co- counties that vote exclusively by mail and we have developed these programs with input from our citizens our electorate our county officials and dealing with those issues uh, we currently have no excuse absentee ballot absentee voting we ha- we allow felons to vote immediately upon release from prison um, our poll workers are almost exclusively volunteers across the entire state. So in short, we have the the best and easiest vote, voting, voting booth access in the entire country, and we are incredibly proud of that. Um, we also are set up somewhat uniquely in that we have cities, counties, legislative districts, and one very big congressional district. Uh, But we have also gone through a lot of different issues, and one of the questions I have is each of these counties interacts differently with their their voters based on the resources available to them. And if I read this bill, it requires mandatory 15-day early voting. Is that correct? That's my understanding. So what if you're an exclusively vote-by-mail county?
3: Well, I'm not not sure which... What you mean, I mean, if you're an exclusively vote by Mayo county, you have a long period to vote
8: generally so and we deal so in some of our counties, we actually go earlier than fifteen days. some of them we go shorter, but we have extended hours to like ten p m. So when we do mandatory um, early voting, is that required in each district? or each precinct or how, I mean, we, we set things up differently. Like in our larger city, we have five legislative districts, but our early voting is at one or two locations in that city.
3: As I understand the bill, it would require all citizens have an opportunity for early voting. I'm not aware if it specifies all the polling locations where those have to take place.
8: And, um, we do, we have gone through significant, um, affidavit reform in our state and have dealt with these issues, both at the County level, the local level and the state level. And we have, Um, worked forward to require all different forms of ID, whether they're student IDs and created mechanisms where somebody can come to the polling place with an ID and a different address. And we just do things that way. But what we have gotten away from is the affidavit process. And the reason we've gotten away from it is we have found through a volunteer voting and excessive, we have found that there's never been any mechanism to check a absentee ballot after, after it's been, um, Submitted to whichever district it is. Now, this would require the absentee ballot process to come back or the affidavit process to come back into place, correct? That would be my understanding. Yes. And we. North we and this might be a little change, but it's really important to the voters in North Dakota. So we uh, we start our absent, our early voting process, if, I think for military deployed overseas, it's as early as August. And we have, as I said, no excuse absentee ballots. But what we require is that our ballots are postmarked the day before the election. And in North Dakota, we really, really try to make sure the election is over on election day. Um, North Dakotans don't understand how an election can change by 12, 13, 14,000 votes in the two to three weeks after an election day. Now I'm not in the business of telling people in California or somewhere else how to do their voting laws, but that just is something that is not appropriate here. And this would require ballots to be postmarked up until election day, correct? That's correct. So
0: So the point that Kelly was trying to make is that this bill, remember, is supposed to control the FEC committee, right? It's supposed to control um, the uh, lobbyist. It's supposed to control uh, who uh, is allowed to uh, fund campaigns. But more so, it tells you when and how you're going to vote. And what he's stating is, you know, this is a really rural community. These are just big farms and they mail off ballots. You know, we have reservations that don't really have addresses. Um, and that was a huge issue. The only issue that the state here has is the illegal immigration as to how to put it. But I did see after kicking up a fuss and reaching out to them that they were asking people, Are you a U.S. citizen? before they uh, filed their ballot. So that was a bona fide question, you know, that was put forward to every single voter this year, which I found incredible. But this bill is going to tell people what machines they use, how they're going to vote, and what he was in- inching to was you're going to allow ballots to be coming in postmarked the day before the election, which means an election can change two to three weeks after because you have to allow for the mailing and the counting. And he was kind of going with the fact how elections, uh, you know, one person won and then suddenly another one did a couple weeks, indicating that there's fraud, indicating that there's election tampering. So this is why I love Kelly. Now, Scott Adams joins us from The Scott Adams Show. Uh, we're going to continue just talking about the State of the Union. I'd love to see what he has to say on that. Um, and maybe I can play the last five minutes of uh, President Trump's uh, speech. Um, Scott welcome to the Tory Sess show everyone can listen to Scott at the scottadamshow.com he's got a great um, show he does a full three hours every morning Monday through Friday and then without the commercial breaks he uploads it as a podcast that you can find at scottadamshow.com Scott Adams welcome
4: thanks Tory.
0: Thanks. Thank thanks Glad for coming. Um, I just wanted to tie up the FEC, this whole hearing that's going on now and what a farce it is, because nobody is talking about it and how um, it's impeding on our rights. But I thought we could take it on the other note, because everybody wants to hear State of the Union, you know, goodies. So I'd like you to tell my audience what you thought of the address yesterday and what your take homes were it, from it.
4: I love the fact that uh it it was a great speech with regard to unity, and it was very much in touch with his inaugural address, which is this is this is this is an example of when when and how America was great, whether it's Buzz Aldrin or the uh uh hero soldiers that stormed. The beaches of Normandy and freed the Jews from uh, the you know the socialism uh, that was Adolf Hitler at the time. All of that was front and center. Uh, But then also the compassion for minorities uh, across the board, Uh, opioid addiction with regard to tying that to border security, but with um, prison prison reform that was a call and an answer to a lot of the minorities' requests uh, for um, prison reform. And so you had uh, two examples of that. You had Alice Johnson. You had this Mr. I think Wallace, um, who basically was the first example of uh, the law that uh, was passed by Trump. It was bipartisan. This is an example of when America does things right in the legislative branch of government. And then at the end, he called on uh, every one of the politicians to... Uh, Instead of um, fighting with each other, instead of endless investigations, instead of this party politic where it's just mainly a transfer of power from one party to another, he was pushing for uh, and advocating for uh, these heroes, these people that get elected to office to be a hero and to use this as an opportunity to be grateful for the position that they're in and to look at history as a guide and say that we could do better. We don't have to fight inside our family. We could actually advance America and make America great, greater than it's ever been before. And he, he ended the speech with that. And so it was very much in line with instead of transferring power from one party to another, we're going to transfer power from Washington back to you, the people we're going to keep you safe. We're going to create jobs. And all of those things were part of his His opening uh, of his inauguration, it's what he's delivered on in the first two years of his presidency. And his call to action with unity was the special moment for the night. And I thought he hit a grand slam. I thought he hit a, a home run with his State of the Union address.
0: Well, let's play the last five minutes that were the most powerful. Let me just do that quickly so everyone can hear just how powerful it was.
1: Thank you. When American soldiers set out beneath the dark skies over the English Channel in the early hours of D-Day 1944, they were just young men of 18 and 19 hurtling on fragile landing craft toward the most momentous battle in the history of war. They did not know if they would survive the hour They did not know if they would grow old, but they knew that America had to prevail. Their cause was this nation and generations yet unborn. Why did they do it? They did it for America. They did it for us. Everything that has come since our triumph over communism, our giant leaps of science and discovery, our unrivaled progress towards equality and justice, all of it is possible thanks to the blood and tears and courage and vision of the Americans who came before. Think of this capital. Think of this very chamber where lawmakers before you voted to end slavery, to build the railroads and the highways, and defeat fascism, to secure civil rights, and to face down evil empires. Here tonight, we have legislators from across this magnificent republic. You have come from the rocky shores of Maine and the volcanic peaks of Hawaii, from the snowy woods of Wisconsin and the red deserts of Arizona, from the green farms of Kentucky and the golden beaches of California. Together, we represent the most extraordinary nation in all of history. What will we do with this moment? How will we be remembered? I ask the men and women of this Congress, look at the opportunities before us. Our most thrilling achievements are still ahead. Our most exciting journeys still await. Our biggest victories are still to come. We have not yet begun to dream. We must choose whether we are defined by our differences or whether we dare to transcend them. We must choose whether we squander our great inheritance or whether we proudly declare that we are Americans. We do the incredible. We defy the impossible. We conquer the unknown. This is the time to reignite the American imagination. This is the time to search for the tallest summit and set our sights on the brightest star. This is the time to rekindle the bonds of love and loyalty and memory that link us together as citizens, as neighbors, as patriots. This is our future, our fate, and our choice to make. I am asking you to choose greatness. No matter the trials we face, no matter the challenges to come, We must go forward together. We must keep America first in our hearts. We must keep freedom alive in our souls. And we must always keep faith in America's destiny. That one nation, under God, must be the hope and the promise and the light and the glory among all the nations of the world. Thank you, God bless you,
0: and God bless America. Thank you very much. Wasn't that incredible? I mean, Scott, that was incredible. Like, how can you not get up, grab your gun, wear your MAGA hat, and wave a flag? Like, that was incredible.
4: Or how can you then wait three minutes and then have to listen to Stacey Abrams speak. <laughs> I mean, how do you top that, right? I mean, how do you follow that act? That was a class act. That was uh, a state of the Union address for the ages that deal and and, and, the, and the other part was the part that, parts that were unscripted, you know the um, the white cloth wearing uh, suffragettes or whatever they wanted to call themselves mm-hmm. ended up being cheerleaders. Literally, they might as well have put taken the suits off and put skirts on and pom- poms. They were basically promoting trump's agenda. I'm sure Nancy Pelosi realized that they made a goof a goof mistake if that's not if that wasn't their intention, but they uh, intended or otherwise. I don't know what they were up to, but they applauded trump's n- job numbers with regard to women, and of course uh you couldn't uh do any better. Then talking about 5 million people leaving food stamps, getting off of food stamps, dependency, that's a great number. Uh, when you get to make the statement that black unemployment, Latino unemployment uh, is at the lowest it's ever been in history, Asian unemployment, lowest in history. Uh, the people that were not getting this message from the mainstream media are the people that learned the most last night. You and I, we know how great Trump is. We know how great our president is, but there are so many people that listen to the fake news mainstream media that witnessed greatness last night and are wondering what Kool-Aid they've been served for the last year and a half.
0: Well, you know, um, he made uh, amazing points throughout his speech. For me, it was reinforcing the First Step Act because I've really analyzed on how we have filled our prisons. You know, when William Barr was the attorney general for Bush 41, where he created uh, this um, privatization of our prisons, pretty much making it for-profit slavery. And then the Clintons came along creating this, you know, super predator a rule where they filled them up. And we have people serving sentences for drug-related offenses because they were drug addicts, right? And they've lost all their lives there making, what, license plates and slaving away. And the thing is with prison, and I've said this before, everyone makes errors and it's not reform to instant institutionalize someone it's not reform to lock them up and throw away the key and just let them because if you put a bunch of bad guys in a prison you're just going to have bad guys behind walls you're the the point of uh, reform is to teach you that you were wrong for you to understand how you were wrong and how you can be a productive citizen and how you can live your life correctly and understand and- your mistakes
4: Tools Uh, give the person training, uh, learning, uh, religion, whatever. Humble, uh, but they need better equipment. They need better equipment upstairs in their brain, but they also need better tools in terms of skill sets. You know, if you're going to uh, work, you know, a foreign desk at the UN, you're going to have to learn the language, right? So, I mean, you need the tools, and uh, that's what. You know, I think is so important about this prison reform is that there, the the, uh, the whole transition uh, from prison to uh, the streets is uh, is, is smarter.
0: Yeah, but even even our soldiers who are, you know, stuck, uh, you know, on barracks, you know, that are, they're pretty much, they kind of go through the same thing that prisoners do. Be honest, they're in a different, more structured environment. They live on barracks, they're in a war zone, and they find it hard to transition back to civilian life. Not saying that the two are the same, but they they hold similarities. And we can't integrate people that have paid for their mistake, nonviolent offenders, drug addicts, because, you know this is a huge issue. You know, can you really hold someone accountable for trying to sell half of his crack to have money for his next dose? You know, these are things that we need to look at correctly. How do we give them the tools to integrate back into society? How do we give them the tools to stay off the crack pipes, off the drugs, you know, and, and seek to, to, to make something of themselves? Because a lot of them, when they come out of prison, they can't get a job because apparently, you know, you're a felon, so I'm not hiring you. And this is all about giving people that second chance. And I saw this morning that, um, they had, uh, you know, president Trump's guest who was the first one to be released, um, through the first step back on CNN. He seemed so serene and so grateful. And it seemed as if CNN was really trying to pull something out of him that was malicious, but they just couldn't. The man was grateful, you know, for being welcomed into the country, not only, you know, welcomed back to society, not only by his president, but the people. He said that means a lot to people that are behind bars now paying for mistakes that they made decades ago, you know, that, that the people, you know, appreciate their reform and want them to come back. And, and this was important. Uh, I have that clip where the, um, where he was talking about women, shall I play it? Sure. Yeah, because it was pretty, pretty incredible. I have that clip, and I think people should um, take a listen because these women that are the Democratic w- women's workforce that were so vicious just a couple of hours before the State of the Union with their own presser were suddenly dancing for the president. So <laughs> here we go.
1: This is a smart, strategic see-through steel barrier not just a simple concrete wall it will be deployed in the areas identified
0: and this is where they start dancing
1: as having the greatest need and these agents will tell you where walls go up illegal crossings go way way down
0: believe it or not, some of these white-dressed women stood up.
1: San Diego used to have the most illegal border crossings in our country. In response, a strong security wall was put in place. This powerful barrier almost completely ended illegal crossings. The border city of El Paso, Texas, used to have extremely high rates of violent crime, one of the highest in the entire country, and considered one of our nation's most dangerous cities. Now, immediately upon its building, with a powerful barrier in place, El Paso, is one of the safest cities in our country.
0: He's holding a rally February Simply 11th put,
1: there. walls work and walls save lives.
0: Well, one of the women stood up by accident and sat back so down.
1: let's work together, compromise, and reach a deal that will truly make America safe. As we work to defend our people's safety, we must also ensure our economic resurgence continues at a rapid pace. No one has benefited more from our thriving economy than women who have filled 58 percent of the newly created jobs last year.
0: Okay, so that was the first wave, and there were women in the front that were urging the Democrats and the ladies in white to get up and dance. So that was the first wave. Now we, and remember, while he was talking about the border wall, a few of them were accidentally standing up too.
1: You weren't supposed to do that. (laughs) Thank you very much. Thank you very much. All Americans can be proud that we have more women in the workforce than ever before.
0: And they stood up again.
1: sit yet, you're going to like this. (laughs) And exactly one century after Congress passed the Constitutional Amendment giving women the right to vote, we also have more women serving in Congress than at any time before.
0: All right, what did you think of that, Scott? I mean, obviously, when they got up and they cheered, Pelosi's face was furious. Uh, but I just thought, one.
4: play it, playa. It. I mean, if anybody could work a crowd, it's Donald Trump. He is the most gregarious, uh, charismatic man in the world, Guarant- and uh, he still got it. I mean, he knows how to charm people. He's, you know, He spent his whole life, really, in hospitality and in show business. The guy knows exactly what to do, and he did it. He delivered with pure, unscripted charisma, and I think it really sold well.
0: Well, you know, this president has all been about common sense values, common sense goals, and uh, about our nation, you know, revitalizing our economy, um, pr- you know, promoting equality, like he said at the end of his speech, and uh, reaching heights like no other. Uh, d- you know, I, can't f- I-, I-, I won't be able to scroll through the whole thing, but there was a point that he said that we're going to be sending astronauts again with American-made rockets. Did you hear that? this year
4: yeah and you know uh what was was great about it he 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 followed it with buzz aldrin he basically said you know it was great when we were doing it back in the 60s and 70s and uh at some point you know we really need to get more advanced with our space exploration uh we're doing great things with mars uh but you know these these satellite warfare is the future you know it's it's where everything's going to be and uh So we need to be there. And we learn as we process all these different technologies.
0: But that's super big. I mean, that would make sense considering that the VP was down where NASA is and all that stuff, right, Um, in 2017 and 2018. But he literally said that we will launch astronauts this year with American-made rockets, which means that he's been planning something for two years and none of us knew about it.
4: Leasing off of uh, SpaceX and leasing from the Russians, and we you know we have a space station up there, but we're wholly dependent on Russia to get us the deliveral. You know basically, you know Russia is our lift driver, and we need to we need to not be so dependent on Russia. And again, that's another toke, feather in the cap of why it is that Trump is not colluding with the Russians. Uh, forget about energy independence. And, you know, we're an energy exporter for the first time in history. Forget about, you know, how we've armed Poland to the teeth or that we've allianced ourselves with Saudi Arabia and neutralized the threat of Iran. Forget about us interested in uh, so many other things that impact, you know, sanctions um, and so many other things that impact Russia in a negative way. NATO, for example, he addressed that $100 billion in new revenue. It was unexpected because he pushed, he pushed the European Union to, you know, spend two percent of their GDP. So this is a president that's made all the right moves. You know, of course, the big announcement with regard to Vietnam on February 27th and 28th to advance the ball with regard to North Korea and the Korean uh, war peace in the Korean Peninsula. I mean, these are remarkable things. These are overachieving things. He didn't promise this on the campaign trail. This is just an extra, extra bonus that we got.
0: That he's creating peace and trying to stop wars. I mean, how can you not be for a president that promotes that? I think I found the clip where he kind of let it out of the hat right after Buzz Aldrin, um, here we go, where he talks about our astronauts and our space program.
1: Gentlemen, we salute you. In 2019, we also celebrate 50 years since brave young pilots flew a quarter of a million miles through space to plant the American flag on the face of the moon. Half a century later, we are joined by one of the Apollo 11 astronauts who planted that flag, Buzz Aldrin. There you go.
0: Oh, he looked like he was tearing up. Did you see him? Mm hmm. Oh. I would so love to have a conversation with him. Off the record.
1: Thank you, Buzz. This year, American astronauts will go back to space. On American rockets
0: right like we didn't even know about that a launch like that with American rockets and we don't know about it and we hear about it the State of the Union that's huge I mean am I wrong to say that that that's huge NASA's been shut down uh, you know because once they went privatized and Obama pulled all their money I mean don't you think that's huge Scott that he announces hey we're going to space this year with American rockets
4: Right. And it's not just that Obama pulled the funding. Obama pulled the funding so he can actually create a dependent class of Democrat voters. And he skyrocketed the uh, dependency on food stamps. And again, Trump did the reverse. You know, basically, the, the government uh, that's the sad truth about what Obama did. He spent so many billions of dollars on social welfare programs that kept the common man down and dependent like like on crack you know insulin uh, a depend he created a dependency for government aid it was all part of a design to keep this country poor uh by bankrupting the middle class by pulling money out of the voting middle class and giving it to a voting sector that would you could depend on if you were a democrat and Trump has changed all that now we see a vibrant, strong middle class. The one thing I always say on my show, you cannot have a successful you cannot succeed at socialism if you have a vibrant, vibrant, growing strong middle class that 's why it 's so important to bring the manufacturing jobs back that 's why this trade with China is so important. All of these things that he addressed with regard to border security and not allowing these. Uh, you know, migrant voters to come through the border illegally uh, is, is all part of strengthening our middle class. It's, it's everything, everything that we know and love about this country is at stake with the border security, with trade deals, with lower taxes that make them permanent. So we get permanent investors to come uh, from overseas back into our country, to rebuild manufacturing, to do all these things that we talk about every day. It's all, it was all in the speech last night. And, uh, it's why the speech was so great.
0: It was, I mean, I was, like I said, I was pumped while he was talking, but for me, I got really excited when I heard that. And I was like, did I mishear that? I had to go back a few times and I was like, wow, uh, you know, as someone that, you know, when I was a kid, I wanted to be an astronaut. Right? Um, and I actually went to a summer NASA program when I was a little kid, uh, it, It seems incredible that this could be held under wraps like that. That no one reported that we're sending astronauts to space. It's not the international space station.
4: We really need to get back there. We need to exercise our technological strength. You know, part of it is recruitment, uh, recruiting engineers. Engineers want to be part of big projects like that. So this has so many. uh, ter- uh tan- you know, intangibles, intangibles, that are basically, ter- you, you know, um, basically things that surround this. You know, it's not just the the achievement itself. It's all the added unintended consequences and benefits from programs like this that help strengthen um, not only overseas talent to come into American universities and take up a- really hard curriculums like engineering, electrical, aerodynamic. Uh, mechanical engineering, really, really tough stuff. Great, great, you know, math skills and things like that. So we put that to good use and uh, we we have unintended benefits uh, that come from projects and programs like this.
0: Well, you know, I'm kind of thinking, you know, Elon Musk has That's been...
4: the word I was looking for. Right. Well, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I,
0: I kind of think that maybe Elon Musk's Mars mission may be something that we're working with. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, because he's been very huge on creating these super underground highways, which I find super futuristic, steampunkish, but he's been recruiting for this. And it makes me wonder in 2019, will we see astronauts heading off to Mars? You know, that's something that I question. I mean, I can't believe the media didn't pounce on this and say, hey. What do you mean we're going to space? Who's funding this? What are we doing? Who are we working with? What astronauts? So that means he's been really busy these past two years working on this. I mean, this is incredible. He said we're going this year. So, I mean, that would be just, uh, you know, the icing on the cake uh, for a cakewalk on 2020 as long as he can tackle healthcare. Uh, because that's something he spoke about. We know that he already started strides with the pharmaceuticals, and he mentioned that as an achievement. But the, the thing is, if we want to nail 2020, we need to get healthcare done. The wall is being built, done. I think um, the majority of the nation yesterday listening to him can agree that a wall is necessary, and he's proving it by having his rally on February 11th at El Paso. A a thousand feet from the border wall just to show how safe it is because of the wall. So, you know, he puts his money where his mouth is.
4: 93% of Republicans uh, approved of the speech, 30% of Democrats approved, and 82% of independents approved of the speech. So basically, you can almost take that to the bank and say that. Eighty percent of those who approved are more than likely inclined to vote for him. So, if you get eighty percent of thirty Demo- percent of the Democrats, that's about that's close to ten percent of the Democrats that he is pulled over to his side. Especially now, when you got a Virginia government that now th- that you got blackface wearing governor. You got a uh, Me Too uh, woman abuser, rapist, as the second in command. Then now it's just been reported that the attorney general, the th- the third person, that person would be the next in line, uh, also wore blackface. It's like, can we find a non-racist, non-rapist? Uh, in Virginia to run for office, that's, that's a Democrat. Well, Virginia is just
0: one of the states because a lot of us investigative journalists has every, has the dirt on almost every single state and they're not digging now. We've been digging and we've got that on the back burner, ready to pop when it's needed. And Virginia was just the low hanging fruit and it's absolutely necessary to clean out Virginia because it flanks Maryland, of course, right? And we need to clear out the corrupt clowns in there, and that's the governor that can issue executive orders overriding things and the attorney general. Pardon?
4: How about Elizabeth Warren?
0: My God! How about Ruth
4: Bader Ginsburg? I mean, those are all hot stories right now, too. I know. I know. Well,
0: Elizabeth Warren, I mean, her career, her attempt to run for president is done. Um, there's like, she lost it just with that, uh, being, you know, coming out into the public eye. So timed by the post, obviously. So it's a soft hit, you know, um, right at the cusp of the state of the union. And even Donald Trump Jr. Said, Oh, what a coincidence. It came out right now, like an hour before the state of the union. And that's to overshadow and kind of bury it. Um, and yesterday I actually tweeted it out to her and Twitter had temporarily banned me. Uh, from using their services until it started to go viral and then I was reinstated so it was like oh we were checking something out but you're fine it's no big deal and that was me tweeting to her hey what about this um so We've got that. She's done. She's apologizing to the Native Americans. Bottom line is someone else could have taken that position, right? Uh, That was a minority, an African-American or whatever. But let's talk about Ruth Bader Ginsburg because you and me tackled something, and I talked about it a little bit um, in the first hour of my show, how the media – I want you to tell – people heard my point of view on this. I want you to tell my listeners how you saw it. We were
4: working on it together, and – we, uh, I searched for a coat. I always said Ruth Bader Ginsburg winter coat. Found that she was wearing the same coat and gloves in Sundance last year, when Notorious R B G was coming out and getting a lot of buzz. Uh, they were trying to push it for the next, you know, the next year's movie. And so she was there, wearing the same coat. And when you look at the picture that was floating around, you know, it looked like it was a short coat. Because everything was smudged out below her arms, and literally when you blow it up and put some light on the photo it 's literally smudged. You know what i mean so and i I'm, i I work Photoshop like a master, you know, so I mean I know what i 'm talking about when I do this stuff, and you could see the smudging tool right and um, and so, in any case i didn 't know that the coat was a long coat, so then I, I saw her walking out of a car walking into the building. And she's wearing that same exact coat, same exact gloves, same exact.
0: And she had the and scarf, but around here. her neck, not over her head, because it was probably a picture from inside.
4: And they changed the hue on that photo a little bit to have it match up with the color lighting because the lighting in Park City was different than the lighting that was in the in the theater. So they changed that. That's why the, the, the periwinkle colored gloves in, in the daylight turned out to look more like white in the in the dark and the same thing is true with the scarf the scarf the hue changed a little bit the blues turned to flat in any case that's just common stuff but you could see lines in the photo so why in the world would they be responding to this well what it is and this is the part that i think is the bigger more more important part it's not that there was a fake photo flying around you know that's one but the more important part Is that every single mainstream media, including The Hill, Daily Caller, uh, people that don't even normally print day-to-day media like Rolling Stone, Vanity Fair, uh, Newsweek, they were all busting this story out. It almost seemed like a coded message because everybody with blind faith decided not to question whatever report was given to The Washington Post. And take it as gospel, even though there's a guy that posted that he hugged her, wished her happy birthday, and then he deleted his tweet and shut down his Twitter page immediately. This was a well-known, established reporter. So all of these anomalies and weird things are happening, are surrounding this Monday night lie that every one of the mainstream media ran with, and it was like circular reporting. And that was the part that got me the most. It was almost like it was a coded message. That said that the mainstream media, everybody who chimed in, other than say, not like Gateway Pundit or Big League Politics, they didn't cooperate. No. But everybody else cooperated like like lapdogs, like Kool-Aid drinking, Mockingbird press that were paid off to basically say, I'm on board with this cover up. And so it was a coded message that everybody ran with this story with the same message. And I actually think it was a message that said, we are cooperating.
0: Right, and, and and that's true because they have to show that they're All in sync. And it was kind of like when the Clintons came out after they lost the 2016 election. They wore purple and other people wore purple to stand in solidarity. So this is what we call the 4 a.m. drops where everyone writes the same story, but it's kind of just like versed differently. Two things that just came out. So one, uh, we are awaiting the president to make his official announcement on his um, candidate for uh, president of the World Bank. So, uh, we're on hold for that. Uh, the U S candidate for election as the next president of the World Bank, and I was just DM'd a tweet by one of my listeners where DefCon warning system sent out a tweet saying Putin taunts Trump. Four hundred R- Russian military contractors sent to Venezuela in support of Maduro. And so I want to take this with a grain of salt because this title is completely misleading. We all know that Putin has sent troops um, throughout the fall there, nuclear capable air. Craft and ships so why would they at this point state that he's taunting the president when they're all working together
4: uh, you know i don't i unless, don't know. unless you news.
0: think that they're not working together and you know russia shows uh you know that they're totally defiant to trump because this is this is really this kind of reporting is bad for Russia and China, you know, there's
4: nothing there's nothing that would benefit. There's no benefit to Russia going against the United States in any way, shape or form. And uh, that's not what's going to be happening. Well, they're writing I think things like they, they have an understanding that their relationship is going to get warmer and better in the future.
0: Well, they closed their article from The Washington Times saying Mr. Putin is called Mr. Baduro. To relay his support for the regime. And Russian officials reacted angrily to President Trump's suggestion on Sunday that US military action was an option to resolve a crisis. But that's not the point. Uh, we don't need to use force, right? Uh, this administration is different. They don't want war. They want to promote things, and they want to take advantage of the resources we do as a country because it's beneficial for both countries if we can well, exploit
4: desperate Because they're also trying to form a, an alliance with Saudi Arabia. They're trying to steal, uh, take Saudi Arabia out of our pocket and put it in their pocket and try to create some sort of a – a um, duopoly, right? Right. And uh, so that's not going to happen. We have the muscle. We have the leverage. And Russia knows it. So, you know, this is, at the end of the day, wars like this between superpowers are always going to be economic ones uh, with threats of military might. Uh, We have the better military. Uh, It's in our hemisphere. It would be a hugely expensive effort on their part. They know that they're outgunned they're outfinanced they have no chance russia knows that
0: well they they do and there's no way russia would do this and that's Austria. what's pers- that's what's that's what's insane why would the washington times publish something like this because they have an investment there just like the chinese the chinese have troops there and of course they're going to remain neutral ish right because they want the new you know president uh that may you know oust maduro in the end because we have to wait and see how it works within um to to honor the deals that they already have and the money that was already provided to venezuela so it's they're really caught in the middle right now because they can't throw support behind maduro cuz if he's ousted there goes their 5 billion right And they can't throw support against Juan because Maduro can destroy whatever they have already in place. And we know Saudi Arabia knows that the people behind this whole Venezuela scheme are the globalist cabal that run the European Union. And we've just seen Saudi Arabia cold shoulder them immediately. So there's no way that they would collude with Maduro because they know in the end the only gain is for those in the European Union, which they loathe. You know, these globalist cabals that have been siphoning oil from around their kingdom, you know, for their benefit by, you know, using their influence and using force. So, you know, I think we're pretty okay on this. I don't know why it's being published as such. And, you know, well, it is is
4: is a very very complex situation. It's not easy to do an overthrow like this. And I think it's 50 50 as to the outcome on this. But we're going to play our best hand. And hope for the best, but this is not a cakewalk. This is not going to be a cakewalk because we're not into overthrowing governments. We're not into nation building. But what we want to do is, when given the opportunity, we want to give them as much support. We don't want to make the same mistake that Obama made in Iran, when those people could have benefited and over, you know, had success if they only had the support of our president. And so I think that that's what Pompeo was doing when he offered up twenty million dollars to. Uh, aid i think that's what they're doing saying our military will have your back stand by in Colombia. um those types of gestures give them confidence that they could actually rise up and you know if they if they take a hit they they have something that they could fall back on because some of these people you know w- if it wasn't for the united states right now i think that someone like Oguado would be thrown in jail right now probably get murdered uh but as it stands that's not happening because we've stepped up and said, we've got your back, and that they know that they can't murder him, they can't throw him in jail, and they can't harm our diplomats. So those are things that we, we flexed our muscle. That's, those are things that Maduro would never dare to test. And neither would Russia.
0: Well, basically, he would dare to test if all eyes wasn't on, weren't on Venezuela. Exactly. Because the only exactly. way that there would be military yes. intervention.
4: That, that's what we're doing is we're trying to give them a fighting chance to give them the confidence that they need to actually rise up and test the waters and mm-hmm. push the agenda. Hopefully, we get our new election out of this. That's what they're proposing. And if they can do that and you can look at election integrity, I think that Guado wins. That election
0: yeah and basically if all eyes are on you you can't violate humanitarian laws you know where nations are forced to intervene you know when there's grave issues of you know mass murder genocide etc so maduro now can't even use the tactics that he's used before yeah, because there are france so on many eyes
4: calling you the question france is on record france emmanuel macron on record saying that they do not acknowledge the Venezuelan election because it was fraudulent. There were way too much way too much corruption. So uh, I think that the push and the effort isn't about military coup overthrow. It's more about uh, drawing attention to the corruption of the previous election, rendering it null and void, and and having a re-election.
0: Well, I don't know. You know, France is just going with it because they know that they have interest there. And I believe if you were to ask me, I'd probably say they're working counter to what we're trying to do um, in more um, sideways avenues. So all eyes are on Venezuela. Maduro can't use his tactics. So maybe we can have the people of Venezuela get liberated. You know you know how hard it is to reset their economy is after on this? Board
4: with us is, is the same reason why we have NATO in the first place. NATO is one, you know, where we go one, we go all. So that's what NATO is. Yeah, we should pull
0: out of that one.
4: America, they're basically supporting America's interest. It's really that they're they're doing that. No, no, no. They're they're making their move by uh, while they're holding their nose.
0: I disagree. They're making the move because they're like, darn it, if America goes in there and they help the new government become an economic power by bringing their own oil rigs in and getting oil from there and making them rich and taking American businesses. We're going to be ousted and that gives more power to America. That's the only reason they're in there. I'm more of the fact they're not backing us because they're nice. They're not backing us because of NATO. We should be out of that faster than we can say the word NATO. It's only because they fear that once the United States has a good strong hold within the oil industry The you know, and again, Venezuela has the most oil on this planet right now in reserves that excludes them from being able to trade in Venezuela.
4: That's totally reasonable. And And that is
0: why they're there. They loathe our president. They loathe our country. They loathe what we stand for because their country is crumbling because socialism doesn't work. And they have, you know, raped the Middle East in regards to oil. They have used and abused everyone in the Middle East. And now it's time to pay the piper. And they're seeing that the U.S. is like, you can take this hot mess. We're going this way. And they're like, wait a minute. We got to go that way, too. Um. Oh, wow. We're out of time already, Scott. Uh, Thank you, Scott, for coming on the Tory Sess Show. Oh, my gosh. Um, Any last words you want to say to my listeners in regards to the State of the Union with 15 seconds? We're
4: so happy that you're on board with Red State Talk Radio, and we look forward to your show every day. So thank you.
0: Oh, my gosh. I look forward to yours. You keep me so much company, and it's a full three hours. And I have to say I listen to your show to get ideas for mine. (laughs) <laughs> like I do Great. others well uh, thank you for being on the Tori Says Show everyone that was Scott Adams you can find him at scottadamsshow.com um, on Red State of course thank you and from all of us here at Red State have a happy and healthy evening